thank you for opening our hearts this morning. Good morning, church. My name is Beth Paz. It is a joy to be with you this morning. I am an 80s, 90s kid. I grew up and um, I grew up in a home without TV. This is true. While all of my friends were watching DuckTales and Looney Tunes and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, my options were playing outside or reading. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> and so I, I read a lot, and I had a favorite kind of book. I had a favorite kind of book. It was called um, Choose Your Own Adventure. Anyone remember these? You are the star of your own story. And so I would pick up this book called Treasure Diver. And I would get caught up in its fantastic pages of the story. And then every couple of pages, you're faced with a choice. If you want to discover the dark cave, flip to page 12. But if you choose to explore the underwater canyon, go to page 17. What to do, right? And so then I would go to page 17 and I would be sorely disappointed because I went to the underwater canyon and I got consumed by a great squid before I discovered the treasure. And then back to start over and choose a different ending. Yesterday I met with a professor um, in Berkeley and uh, he is in charge of innovative technologies. And I asked him, tell me, what's going on in the world of innovative technologies? What is captivating people right now? And he talked about in the world of entertainment, things have shifted. We used to be immersed by a video, a movie, a play, and that was something that we watched. And then, let's say, for example, Aladdin. I would watch Aladdin, it was an amazing movie. And then we would go to a theme park where we got to interact with the characters, right? I got to meet Aladdin. It was a whole new world, if you will, all right? It was, a, it was amazing, this dazzling place to get to interact with the characters of Aladdin. And from that, though, we have moved from books and plays and movies and theme parks into what is called immersive experiences. Have you heard of this? In Florida, they're opening. It's not just a theme park or an ex a, 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 a theme park. It is an immersive experience. The Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser experience. It's a two-night experience where you are the hero, right? And on this ship, you interact with the characters, you make your own lightsaber, and you engage in a secret mission. And it combines all of the elements to become the ultimate entertainment. We crave immersive adventures. We crave them our whole lives because we are a people made to live life to the fullest. In today's scripture, we're going to see how Jesus invades our set here on earth, how he comes to unleash a mission like no other, and then lets us choose our own adventure, but longs to guide us past the destructive parts into the most beautiful, abundant life, and life so abundant it leads into resurrected life. So, 
shall we read the scripture. Would you stand today for the reading of God's word in Luke 24. Luke 24, 13 through 34. And as we read, we're going to dive into uh, the first uh, sentence says, now on that same day. What is the same day? The same day is where we were last week on Easter Sunday. It is an action-packed day. Jesus has risen from the tomb, and the tomb is discovered empty, and the word has spread. On that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about several seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked, they discussed these things with one another. And Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? And then they stood still. Their faces were downcast, and one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was this prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us and they went to the tomb early, came back, that they told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it. He broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us when he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those with them assembled together saying, it is true, the Lord has risen. This is the word of the Lord. So these friends are walking along. There's lots of movement happening as they walk along and they're engaging in this dialogue. They're throwing back all sorts of ideas and they're discussing because the way that they entered to the week is not how they're leaving it. 
They entered into the week thinking that they would have a king and they're leaving somewhat disappointed and discouraged. And Jesus just nonchalantly walks alongside. What things? (laughs) What things, Jesus? And you just think about what the disciples, uh, Cleopas and his friend, recapped to Jesus. I'm sure it was something like uh, the Jerusalem Journal and its headlines, right? They had a heyday with Holy Week. Rabbi parades into town on an ass. Judas exposed. Spot open in the top 12. Sanhedrin scandal, an excommunicated rabbi, a notorious murder acquitted. Guilty verdict for the king of the Jews. Three executions scheduled at Golgotha. A seismic event, earthquake rubble in Jerusalem, temple vandalism, the Holy of Holies exposed, climate change is real, three hours of darkness midday, Tomb Raider, they stole a corpse. This is a, a crazy week in the life of Jerusalem. How can you ask what happened, Jesus? Don't you know? But after all of that dialogue and movement, what was the one thing that stopped them in their tracks? But we had hoped. We had, we had hoped, and our hopes were disappointed. No doubt they were wondering if they had been fooled by Jesus of Nazareth. And they were leaning in the direction of unbelief because even if the rumors of an empty tomb were being spread, they were walking away from Jerusalem, not towards it to see. These puzzle pieces weren't making sense. There was an empty tomb and angels and but they hadn't seen Jesus, hadn't seen him. And it left them in somber bewilderment and they were discouraged and disillusioned. The last sermon I preached was about three day stories. And these are the episodes of life that have a day one, which is a death And a day two, which is a suffering and a waiting, this liminal spaces. And here the disciples are in day one. Jesus died. Hopelessness is the antithesis of resurrection. You see, death and pain and suffering and loss are natural. They are part and parcel to our understanding of what it means to be human. We live and we die. The laws of entropy are at play. Aging is an effect. Time marches forward. And so we know to dust we will return. We're familiar with death. But resurrection is not natural. It's supernatural. And if Christ supernaturally rose from the dead, then as Christ followers, our story narrative changes. Our narrative now is life, death, life. It switches. 
to simultaneously offer abundant life here on earth and resurrection life for eternity. And it is not a natural progression. It is a supernatural progression. And so we must learn resurrection. We must learn resurrection and it hinges on a divine invitation to love that moves us from death through pain into a life marked with hope. And so Jesus' invitation is to learn resurrection by living into an unseen reality but for many of us, the seen reality of death is far more tangible. And the things that stop us in our tracks become the places where we get stuck. We get stuck. Has anyone been stuck? There's things that just anchor you down and not in a good way. They prevent you from moving forward. When we look at the disciples here, you can just feel their emotion as they say, but we had hoped he was the one who would redeem us. I know there's a lot of we had hoped moments in this congregation. There's we had hoped moments in my own life. I had hoped I would be a mother with children. No. What had you hoped for? I know somebody over here is going to say, we had hoped we would be in a romantic relationship by now. Can I get an amen? We had, we had hoped that we might have grandchildren by now. We had hoped that we'd have that fulfilling career, that that vision or dream would be realized, that that person would be proud of me by now that that person would have forgiven me by now, we had hoped. As a church, collectively, we have a, a moment in our not so recent past where we had hoped. We had hoped, we have a large constituent that had hoped Jeff Matisich would be presented as the next senior pastor, and he wasn't. And it has left an ache in many of our congregants and staff. In our world, collectively, we had hoped that the war in Ukraine would end, but now it's entering its ninth week with 46,000 dead and 12 million displaced and an uncertain future. We live in a world of we had hoped. And we get confused because what is good and beautiful and right didn't happen and we get confused because Jesus is good and right and preached a beautiful gospel, but it seems like it is not. And we get stuck. And not only we get stuck, we get impatient with others who are stuck. And we make a mess of it. And my guess is if Jesus had not been walking with Cleopas and his friends, they would have gotten stuck right there. But he went on, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are. Jesus of Nazareth did not fool you, you are foolish to doubt. And he met them where they got stuck, which was in suffering. 
with his own question. Did not the Messiah have to suffer? He met them where they got stuck, intellectually, emotionally, and they were about to dismiss Jesus as the redeemer because he died. But he says, no, this is the unexpected element in Christ's messiahship was his suffering. So he warns them, don't be so selective about editing out your scriptures. Uh-uh. Come back to the scriptures and Jesus taught from Moses and the prophets how Christ illuminates the pathway from suffering to glory. And he affirms the validity of the law in the Torah and the prophets and he takes them from day one where he died and day two where he suffered. That is incarnation theology. We need that. Jesus so amazing entered into us. But he takes us into day three and that is resurrection theology. That is a resurrection theology where we live again and Christ has overcome sin and death and the devil and he invites us into a life abundant. I wonder what Jesus preached about himself. That's a sermon I wanna hear. Jesus, what did you preach about yourself? Their understanding of him as a prophet was quite incomplete. He took them beyond prophet to suffering servant, to high priest, to the king of kings. And the disciples still didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him. Huh, church, for all of our intellectual debate, and our stimulating conversations and all of our theology, is it possible to miss resurrection? When did they recognize Jesus? Where we have the most fun, table fellowship. They were hanging out, they were having a meal together and their eyes were open. It's divine love. I don't know, was it his nail-scarred hands or was it the way that he fed them or was it just in the moment of setting aside all of the things of their mind and letting their hearts feel they encountered Jesus? I think there's a word for us in this understanding. A.W. Tozer says this, we need both theological knowledge and spiritual experience. He says, theology seeks to reduce what may be known of God to intellectual terms. And as long as the intellect can comprehend, it can find words to express itself. When God himself appears before the mind, awesome and vast and incomprehensible, then the mind seeks into silence and the heart cries out, There is the difference between theological knowledge and spiritual experience. The difference between knowing God by hearsay and knowing him by acquaintance. The difference is not verbal merely, it is real and serious and vital. And I think church, this is important for us. 
This is important for us. We value theological education, but we must move into spiritual experience. This is Mr. Allen. This is Mr. Allen hearing the word, being in a small group, working through discipleship some 40 years later, entering into baptism, letting the water immerse him, blending together his experiences. This is 16 young adults gathering in the prayer room at 6.30 in the morning to pray and seek the face of God. A couple weeks ago, I went for a hike. I had been stuck on a few issues in life. Anybody gets stuck, right? And there was three things that were really bothering me and they lingered in my mind for about two weeks and I couldn't shake it. And I thought, I'm gonna go on a hike and work this out. Because sometimes we need to work out the spiritual things into something tangible. And so I picked up three rocks good-sized rocks for my three issues. <laughs> Pain, anger, frustration, there they are, okay. And I held those rocks all the way through my hike. It's hard to hike when you've got stuff in your hands, all right? You can't hang on. But I thought about those issues on my way up as I held those rocks. And my idea was that I would throw them into the pool where the, the, the waterfall was and kind of release this and pray that God would take take those things away from me. And so I got up to the waterfall and I was trying to figure out how I would throw the rocks into the pool. And, and actually, I, it was not quite so easy. I was hanging onto those rocks and I hadn't thrown them into the pool. And this little girl, she was up there with her dad and she um, was delightful. She was tottering over to me. And you know what you do when you see a little, a little kid. You do anything to make them smile, right? She had her little pigtails out. And I was like, I got to do something to make her smile. And I was like, I give her a rock. And I was like, no, I can't give her a rock. Those are my rocks, you know? <laughs> I was like, Beth, just give her one of the rocks, you know? So I gave her one of the rocks. And she goes, Oh, okay, okay, here's the second rock, you know? And the third rock. Just didn't think about it. Just release them so freely, lightly. And after I didn't have rocks in my hand to think about anymore, I looked up at the waterfall. And it was streaming down, it had just rained, it was rushing down, and it was like it was in slow motion where the droplets were catching, and it was gushing forth out of the rock, and the sky was blue, and it covered my skin, and I felt alive, and I felt God speak to me. I am the living water waiting to immerse you, and you are so slow to give up your Learning resurrection hinges on our response to a divine invitation. To trust that love will move us from death through pain into life marked with hope. And Lake Avenue, if we want to be a church, 
that welcomes the nations and embraces the generation and leans into revival, then we need to learn resurrection. It's like resilience. It's not given to you. It's, it's not gifted to you. It's worked out. It's learned. It's learned in community and proximity and fellowship and walking the path and helping one another along the journey. It's learned by receiving unconditional love. Telling one another that we're loved until we believe it. Because Christ's unconditional love on the cross invites us to embody it to others, regardless of their sexual orientation, regardless of their class or their creed. We embody unconditional love and the outcome is unwavering hope. It is a hope that is a light that shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. Church, may we be a beautiful people who are learning resurrection together with a signature of love and a hashtag of hope. Amen. <laughs>